Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I wanted to tell you a story about one of my favorite saints in the church. His name was St. Boethius, who lived from 480 to 524 AD, shortly after the fall of the Roman Empire. He was a philosopher, and he was inspired by Plato's Republic, and so he decided to use his abilities for the public good by going into service to the state. He was an advisor to Theodoric, who was an Ostrogoth king. He was a Christian, but of a heretical variety. He was called an Arian. Boethius was good at his job because he was a just man. But acting righteously in his position made him enemies. Imagine that. Much like Daniel in Babylon. He was falsely accused of conspiracy, imprisoned, and put to death. While waiting for his execution, he wrote this short little autobiographical book called The Consolation of Philosophy. And as the book opens up, Boethius is depressed at his fate. He's shedding many tears. He's writing poetry about how unfair fate is. As he's writing, however, Lady Philosophy, who for Boethius would have been related to the church, to Mary, to the personification of wisdom, appears to him. And as they talk, Lady Philosophy tells him that she will act as a doctor, diagnosing what's wrong with him. The problem, she finds out, is that Boethius is depressed and emotional because he's forgotten his purpose. He's forgotten his end. He's wrapped up in the fact that he lost his wealth, that he lost his position of power, that he lost his reputation, and all the other things that he enjoyed, instead of keeping his eyes fixed on the truth. In short, Boethius is asking the same question that people have been asking for thousands and thousands of years. Why do bad things happen to good people? And rather than answering that rationally, he's looking at his ever-changing circumstances, the whims of fortune, as the measure of goodness and badness, of wisdom and folly. But fortune is always changing and an unreliable guide. And so Lady Philosophy tells him, you are wasting away and pining and longing for your former good fortune. It is the loss of which that has so corrupted your mind. Yet because Boethius acted uprightly and justly, she reminds him, you did not have and did not lose anything of value. You did not have and did not lose anything of value. We can't control fortune. We can only control ourselves. Circumstances are often out of our control, but we can, we can decide how we will respond. So Boethius may have been exiled from his home and his job, but Lady Philosophy tells him any man who has chosen to make his dwelling with wisdom has the sacred right never to be banished. So there can be no fear of exile for any man within its walls and moat. On the other hand, if anyone stops wanting to live there, he automatically stops deserving it. Boethius had to learn what was really important. He had to remember what we are alive for, not riches, not power or other good fortune, but to pursue the good, capital G, good, pursuing God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, with all our strength, like we heard our Lord say in the gospel reading this morning. It's the same theme that resounds in all of our propers today. It's the theme of the collect, 
Lord, we beseech thee, grant thy people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and with pure hearts and minds to follow thee, the only God. And it's the theme of our epistle reading this morning, which is the beginning of 1 Corinthians. And it's important to realize, because St. Paul says some really nice things to the Corinthians at the opening of the letter, it's important to remember that the Corinthian church was not an exemplary Christian community, especially at the time Paul wrote his first epistle to them. The church seems to be infected with a kind of factionalism that may have been rooted in that tension between Jew and Gentile among the first generation of believers. They also struggled with sexual immorality. They even had a man in their community who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. They had a litigious nature where there were believers taking other believers to court. Further, the poor and the widows in the church seemed to be ignored and excluded from from the community. We even know this based on how they were practicing the Eucharist, where people would go up and imbibe too much and get drunk and get over full and leaving nothing for anybody else. We will not be doing that today. Maybe maybe, Maybe at the meal afterwards. We'll see. Just kidding. But it's an important reminder, the Corinthian church, that there is no perfect church. But the Corinthians were really, really, really not a perfect church. Yet in spite of their issues, in spite of their imperfections, in spite of their unfaithfulness, Paul could still see God at work in their midst. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That grace has made even a congregation like the Corinthians rich in speech, rich in knowledge, St. Paul calls them. Not because they were particularly good people, it seems they were not, but because God is faithful, even when we are not faithful, and he gives us what we need. In the case of the Corinthians, this means providing the congregation with various spiritual gifts, which include things that later in the book, like wisdom and knowledge and faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. And much could be said about each of these gifts. But the significance is that each individual gift that one might have has been given as a divinely appointed means by which the whole of the body is edified. So we're going to talk about this at the annual meeting following the service, but we see this in our own lives, in our own parish. So many people here use their gifts to serve our Lord and his church. And it's a beautiful picture of what it means for us to be the body of Christ. And it's proof, again, not that we should boast about our own gifts or boast about our aptitudes, but that we should rely all the more on God who empowers us to do the work that he has for us. Much like Lady Philosophy to Boethius, St. Paul ties these gifts to our end. The purpose of gifts is so that we are not lacking while we wait for the coming of Christ. God sustains us to the end. For what purpose? Why? St. Paul tells us, so that we might be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess that every single week. He shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead. And we know that this judgment will will be a judgment in which all things will be seen, because unto God are all hearts open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. There's a sense in which this is a grave reminder for all of us. In fact, for some of us, it's even a warning. There will come a day when all of who we are will be laid bare, and we will have to account for everything that we've done. 
That means that right now, not later, right now, is the time for us to participate with those gifts and grace that God gives us abundantly. Right now is the time for us to become who we are to be. At the same time, however, this impending judgment is a liberating reality because it frees us from the fickle and cruel wheel of fate. We are no longer bound to the pursuit of utilitarian outcomes, where what's right is purely about what produces the most success, whether that success be financial or political or otherwise. That's not what our final exam with God will be focused on. What matters is whether we were faithful to what God has given us, whether we act with wisdom, whether we make obedience to him our primary mission. And the thing is, if we do this right, we will garner opposition. Just like Boethius's habit of justice caused the people in the king's court to turn on him. Just like Daniel's piety caused Nebuchadnezzar's advisors to turn on him. Just like Socrates' singular focus on the pursuit of wisdom caused the Athenians to put him to death. Just like Jesus' singular obedience to his father caused him to be crucified. And I have to tell you this, because these themes have been in my head all week. And, you know, sometimes God speaks to us in different ways on multiple occasions. And when he does that, it's really, really important that we listen to him. Because he will get our attention one way or the other. Sometimes with a whisper, sometimes with a two-by-four. So yesterday, I had, this, I had most of this sermon all typed up, and then I sat down to do morning prayer. And each of the readings at morning prayer spoke to these themes about how our faith in God needs to transcend circumstance. The psalm for morning prayer yesterday was Psalm 37, which ends with this. Keep innocency and take heed unto the thing that is right, for that shall bring a man peace at the last. As for the transgressors, they shall perish together, and the end of the ungodly is they shall be rooted out at the last. But the salvation of the righteous cometh of the Lord, who is also their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall stand by them and save them. He shall deliver them from the ungodly and shall save them because they put their trust in him. And so as I read this, I wrote real excitedly in my journal, add to sermon for tomorrow. And then I got to the second lesson in morning prayer yesterday, which was from the first chapter of James. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet with various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I very excitedly in my journal wrote, add this to the sermon for tomorrow. (laughs) When God tells you something once, it's good to listen. But when he tells you something multiple times, it's really, really important to listen. Like Boethius, we should listen to lady philosophy. We should listen to wisdom and attend to what she says. We weren't made to accumulate stuff. We weren't made to gain as much political power as we possibly can. We weren't made to experience all of the hedonistic fleshly happiness as we possibly can. We were made for righteousness. Of course, acting wisely, when we pursue a life that will be blameless at the end, we're going to stir up opposition to that. But the point is that in spite of whatever changing circumstances that we inhabit, God will always, always, always give us what we need. He always has, and he always will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.